really hard to be new to a city. It can be exciting, but it can also be extremely lonely. And so hopefully this is a place where um, you get a little break from the isolation and the loneliness of moving to a new city, a big city, and you actually get to interact and meet with people and kind of break through some of the barriers that exist um, just in kind of being in a huge area. And we would love to get you more connected. And so one of the best ways to do that is honestly just hang out after the service. You'll notice that the deacons literally have to like kick people out of here at the end. And so, yeah, just hang out and people will come up and talk to you. And if you don't like that, then run very fast out the door so that nobody bothers you. That's more my style. Um, We are in a new series, and this is still an introduction. We're going through the Ten Commandments, but we have to do some work to get into the Ten Commandments because otherwise we'll misunderstand what they are and how they should function. And so I want to talk really quickly about two kind of main mistakes that we've seen the church and people make throughout history as they interact with God's law. The first mistake is been labeled legalism. And so you might hear this, you might kind of be familiar with that word, but it's basically a description of somebody who tries to earn their righteousness through how they keep the law. And it starts out just by looking at the law and saying like, okay, I'm going to try my best to keep this so that God loves me. But then what ends up happening is you start making laws about the laws. And you start creating kind of this endless system of ways and things that you need to do to please God. And it can produce either despair because you're constantly falling short, but also, and maybe more dangerously, it can produce self-righteousness. As you start to think that your own ability to keep the law is something that you are doing on your own, and you'll start to look down on other people. So that's one way of misunderstanding and misapplying the law. But then there's another one, and I would argue that probably this other one is more common in our culture, in, our, in the air that we breathe. And it's called antinomianism. So that's a It's also a more complicated word to say. But it's basically saying, I'm against the law. The law doesn't matter at all. I don't need a law. I can just live however I want. And sometimes we'll even like Christianize this or spiritualize it by saying like, oh, but yeah, I don't need the law because I have the spirit. And so that's a way of kind of just baptizing or blessing anything that you want to do, and just saying, oh, it's from the Spirit, because it comes from my desire, so clearly the Spirit must be telling me to do that. And so the law is going to put pressure on both of those ways of living. It's going to put pressure on the person who thinks that they don't need a law, that the Spirit is sufficient, because the law is a reflection of God, and the Spirit is God. So if you're living in a way that is contrary to the law and calling it the Spirit, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's not from God. And so it's going to expose that 
in us. And we all have things that we need to have exposed. But on the other hand, if you are a person who finds their righteousness in law-keeping, who finds their relationship with God kind of is determined by their own personal obedience, the law is going to put immense pressure on you the more that you dive into it. Because we're going to see this today even. When you start opening up the law, you see that it's only fulfilled by love. You only keep the law by love. And as you look at what love requires, you're going to be crushed if it's up to you. You're going to be crushed if you try and fulfill it in your own power. Because the kind of love that you try and fill the law with is self-love, right? It's because you're trying to earn your righteousness. You're doing it for you. And so by definition, the law's working against you in that way. I think about the law sometimes like this. It's a disruptor for everybody. When you're confronted with the perfect holiness of God, it's going to disrupt you. And so I think all of us kind of identify with pieces of both of those. And as we kind of dive into studying the law, reflecting on it, it's going to begin to disrupt that. And so last week we looked at kind of the preface to the law. And we saw that the law actually gets us ready for Christ. And this week, we're going to see that Jesus fulfills the law. And he does it in three ways. He fulfills the law for us. He fulfills the law in us. And he fulfills the law through us. So we're going to look at how Jesus fulfills the law. And I was thinking about this as I was kind of thinking of my own experience in my own kind of Christian life. The first car that was truly mine was a 1991 Honda Accord. And it was brown, and it was beautiful. It was awesome. And the thing about this car was that it was a little bit older, and if you took it onto the highway and you started going a little too fast, everything would start shaking. And like screws would fall out of the ceiling. And so it was kind of like this sign, hey, we're going too fast here. It was like bumpy. But I had a friend who, for his 16th birthday, got a brand new BMW. And we would ride in that, and it was like you're just floating. There was like no friction. It was amazing. And I noticed something that if you get that car on cruise control and then just like kind of gradually start increasing the speed, you don't even notice that you're going faster. And it's really dangerous. Because before you know it, you're going way over the speed limit, but it feels like you're barely moving. And life can be like that when we're operating according to our own law when we're operating according to our own conscience. Because what the human mind does is it smooths out anything that is kind of, um, any kind of discontinuity with 
what we believe and how we live. Like, we don't like that. We don't like that cognitive dissonance. And so we smooth it out, and we have really nuanced and complicated ways of doing that. We rationalize, we justify, we turn a blind eye to things. And so a lot of times you can just live a life that seems very frictionless, but it's really dangerous. And you're actually speeding towards destruction because you're living according to your own law. And we can't help but live according to a law because we want our life to be meaningful. That's just an ingrained universal human truth, is we want our life to be meaningful. So we need a law. We need something to examine, something to judge it, something to compare it to, something to hold it up against. I can't remember who said this, but in high school, one of the quotes that was plastered all over the walls was, the unexamined life is not worth living. You guys know this, and it's true. We want a life that is examined, but we want it examined on our terms. And so the act of kind of opening Scripture, coming to God's law, and seeing that actually he is the judge, he is the lawgiver, and that universally all of us have a law that we are going to be held accountable to. Our life will be examined. And it's going to be examined according to God's perfect and holy law. So today, we're going to see how Jesus fulfills it by looking at the book of Romans. And Romans is really interesting when you think about it as it relates to the law, because depending on where you're at, it seems like Paul will contradict himself. In one place, he'll say that we have been set free from the law, And that we don't live according to the law anymore because we have died to it, but now we live according to the Spirit. But then here, he starts saying, hey, you have an obligation to fulfill the law. It's like, okay, Paul, which one is it? And what he's talking about is he's talking about these different functions that the law had. So the law as a function of judging, it is one of the ways that God holds people accountable is the expectations he has for human beings, his creation. So when you are trusting in Christ, that part of the law has been satisfied. You are dead to the condemnation that the law brings. But that doesn't mean that then you just throw the law out. Because there is still a fulfillment that happens in the Christian life, and it's through the Spirit that we're able to fulfill it. And so that's the context that he's talking about now. He's talking about, okay, yes, we've talked about there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are living according to the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, and now he's kind of saying, church, here's what that looks like. And he quotes the Ten Commandments. So you can turn with me. We're going to be in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. And I'll go ahead and read it for us. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. 
Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not remained distant and far off, that although you are almighty and that you transcend our ability to understand, that you have spoken to us, that you have revealed yourself to us in ways that we can understand, in the simplest of ways, and yet in ways that introduce us to the depth of your love, to the depth of your holiness, to the depth of your goodness. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us, that you would help us to be disrupted, that you would wake us up from our sleep, that you would take us off of autopilot, and that you would show us all of the ways that you are seeking to help us put on your Son, to put on our Savior and our Lord your son, Jesus. I pray all of this in his name. Amen. So Jesus fulfills the law. And the first thing that we have to talk about to ground us is that he fulfills the law for us. Now, I will admit, you have to do a little bit of work to get that from this passage. <laughs> because it doesn't say anything about Jesus's work on the cross for you here. But I think it's actually really heavily implied by the context of Romans as a whole. Because as you think about this, the very first verse says, owe no one anything. And it's just talking about kind of, this is kind of a transition. He's talking about a relationship to the civil government and that, yes, you should pay taxes. Like to the one whom you owe money, you should pay it. So if you owe taxes, pay them. And so now he's kind of making a transition to our obligations to other people. So you have your, our obligations to the civil government. Now he's talking about, okay, here's how you as Christians live in relationship to other people in this world. And he says, oh, no one anything except to love each other. And so in this statement, there is kind of a principle at work that love is something that we owe to each other. That it is something that we are actually obliged to do to one another, for one another. And it says, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then he lists these commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So as you're reading that, as you're reflecting on that, if you are honest, 
And if you do the smallest amount of reflection, you will realize that you have failed. We have all failed in this. We have all failed to love our neighbor as ourself. It gets worse, though. Ready? He's talking about the, what's known as the second table of the law. So it's the second set of commandments that relate to us and other people. Right? These are all kind of like on the horizontal plane. And how Jesus sums this part of the law up is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Okay, so he's assuming we're loving ourselves and that that is kind of how we should love our neighbor as well. Well, do you remember how he summarizes the first part? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Okay, that's much stronger language. Because you might not love yourself like that, but he is saying the law commands that you love the Lord your God with everything. There's a priority to it. And so there's kind of this um, process that happens as you meditate, as you soak in these commands. And the process is one of understanding your failures. And this is one of the ways that the law works in our lives. It's a mirror. It shows us what's really, what we really look like. There's no filter on it. Like, there's no polishing. There's no finishing. It shows you what's really there. And so as you are confronted with the law, and Paul's concern here is horizontal relationships, immediately you are brought before God's judgment as someone who is guilty according to the law, who is deserving of the punishment. And so you really can't go any farther you're guilty. It doesn't matter. Nothing, nothing, nothing else that this says matters unless there was one who fulfilled the law. And it's not us. None of us has loved in this way. None of us have loved with the purity that God requires, that he wants, with the beauty, the selflessness that he wants, that he desires, that he commands. But we know love because Jesus laid his life down. That's how we know what love is, Scripture tells us. We know what love is because Jesus laid down his life for us. And so Jesus laying down his life for us takes the punishment away. If you are trusting in Jesus, your guilt is removed. The wrath of God, the punishment that is due to a guilty sinner is satisfied. It's removed. And so now all of a sudden we're set free from it. But there's another thing. Jesus didn't just remove the punishment, but he fulfilled the law. His life, perfect obedience to these commandments, perfect love of God, 
perfect love of neighbor. Something that we could never do. He did for us. And so when you see this, one who loves another has fulfilled the law. There is only one. There is only one who has loved another in a way that fulfills the law, and it's Jesus, and he did it for us. But that's not all he did. He didn't just fulfill the law for us and then kind of say, okay, that's done. All you do now is you just kind of live according to what you think is best, and then when you die, you come into heaven. No. Because Jesus is also fulfilling the law in us. Look at the rest of this passage with me. Verse 11. This kind of spooky language. Besides this, you know the time. What time is it? You know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Why? Because salvation is nearer to you now than when you first believed. But I believed. So how is salvation nearer now than then? There's three phases or three components of salvation that Paul talks about. One, we've talked about a lot, is justification. That's that as you believe in Jesus, you are pronounced righteous. God's judgment on you is now, you are no longer guilty of sin, but because of Christ, you are righteous. You are justified by faith, by trusting in Jesus for that. So that is a way of describing and pointing to salvation, but it's not all. There's also sanctification. It's the process where you're living from the justification that you have. God has pronounced something about you. You are my child. You are righteous. And now you start to learn how to live according to the righteousness. You start to learn how to walk as a child of God. You start to submit yourself to his will in your life. You walk it out. That's also not what he's talking about when he's saying we're nearer to salvation, though. What he's talking about is this final phase, which is glorification. It's the end. It's the realization. It's the consummation of our salvation. It's the fulfillment of it. And when does that happen? It happens when Jesus returns. So here is the force of what Paul is pointing us to. He's saying, you're living right now in light of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. I want you to also live in light of his return. Because Jesus said he came first as a servant but he returns as a king to judge the world. And so the return of Christ is coming nearer. It's at hand even, as he says. The hour has come. So what Paul's doing is he's pointing to something that Jesus constantly talked about, and that is the imminent nature of his return. Like, the next thing that God is going to do is going to be to return 
and rule over this world. That is the next phase in this process of redemption that he's working out in history. And so we are to live in light of that, and we are to participate with what Jesus wants to do in us during that time. And that is to fulfill the law. And so he fulfills the law in us. This doesn't happen in our own strength, right? And this is, again, you have to kind of hold on to this because we get, we get kind of confused about what this means and what it doesn't mean. So what it doesn't mean is that you're just kind of like on autopilot like a zombie and Jesus just does it for you, in you. No. Like, you really do it, but it's not in your own strength. It's in the strength of the Spirit. How do you know if something's in the strength of the Spirit or if it's in your own strength? That's a good question. One of the probably the most helpful way of kind of discerning which strength you're operating in is what do you do when you fail? Because if your sanctification or if your fulfillment of the law in you is dependent on your own strength, When you fail, you're going to be devastated, and you're going to give up, and you're going to let go. But if you are walking in the strength of the Spirit for those things, it's going to be another occasion to trust Him, that He is going to continue to give you everything that you need to fulfill the law. And so we'll go back into the first half of this passage to look at what it looks like to wake from sleep. Well, it looks like not committing adultery, not murdering, not stealing, not coveting. It looks like walking in line with the commandments. Now, you can read those and say, okay, well, I'm doing pretty good today didn't commit adultery, didn't steal anything, didn't murder anybody. And yeah, I'm not really coveting anything actively, so I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm doing okay. But this also is an important component of the law, is that all of these commands have an ellipse. It's like, when it says, you shall not murder, it's like, okay, does that mean that all we have to do is just not murder? Is that really love? If we don't murder, and that's the limit of how we interpret and understand that law, is that love? Because I cannot murder somebody by just ignoring them. I cannot murder somebody by just completely remaining separated from them. And so, all of these commandments come with an ellipse, and we are going to go into that as we unpack each one in this series. But I just want to show you the pattern of what it actually looks like. Think about when you hear, I will, or you shall not murder. What's the flip side of that? What's the positive side of that? So you shall promote life. You shall help life to flourish. 
Now we're seeing what it looks like to love somebody. It's not that I'm just not murdering. That's important. Of course, you don't want to murder people. You can't love them. But it's not the limit. It's the beginning. It's an invitation into a fullness of life that is beautiful. Think about this in your relationships. Like, hopefully you guys aren't really battling to not murder your good friend. I really hope that. But, is there some kind of, like, resentment? Is there some kind of distance? Is there something that's preventing you from building them up, from helping them flourish? Maybe it's something you're not doing. Not necessarily something that you are doing. Right? And so now we're seeing how love fulfills these commandments is because it actively pursues the betterment of another. And that's how we love ourselves, too. We don't just don't kill ourselves. We also nurture ourselves. We take care of ourselves. And you can do that with all of these. It's not just don't commit adultery, but love your spouse. Create intimacy and passion. Desire them. Serve them. It's not just don't covet, but it's be completely content with what you have. So as we go and expose our souls to the law, all of this is going to start to happen. And it's this process. This is how it works for me anyways. I think it's probably similar for you. Here's a concrete example. And I've talked about this a little bit before. But there was a period of time where I started to be really convicted that I was just being kind of lazy at home. It was kind of like the Miller Time commercials. It's like, I would get home, hard day work. I would do like things from this time to this time at home. And then I'd be like, all right, tagging out. <laughs> Miller Time. I wouldn't exactly do it that way. But that was my thought process. And I noticed something. As our kids are getting older, they're staying up later. And so I used to have this like two-hour chunk of time from when they would be in bed before I would go to sleep. That was my time. Like I could relax, could read quietly, and then they're getting older, they're staying up later, and they're bothering me. And that was irritating to me. And I was like, I was thinking about that. And I, it took me a long time. I was totally blind to it. But I was thinking about that, and I was like, why am I getting irritated? That makes no sense. They're, like, my, my daughter's not doing anything wrong. Why am I irritated? And I realized I'm lazy. I want to punch out. I don't, I'm tired of loving. I've done, I've done it. Now it's time to rest. And there was a limit, I realized, in my own strength to my love. And so I had an option there. And as this process works itself in your, in your life, you're going to have this option too. You can say, oh, okay, that's nice. I'm going to suppress that and just keep doing what I'm doing. 
But no, I realized, like, I need, to, I need help. I don't like that. I don't want that projected out to the next 10 years. I don't want the seed of that to grow and to produce wickedness in my home. I want that killed, but I can't do it because my own flesh is weak. And so I talked to, um, I talked to somebody who I knew would kind of put my feet to the fire a little bit. And what he said is still sticking with me because he knows the Lord and he knows the good plans of God through sanctification. And he said, listen, you, you have an obligation to your family to show them what a man of God looks like. And it doesn't look like punching out. And that just was like even more convicting. I was like, oh, it's even worse than I thought. Now I feel even worse. But it gave me opportunity to rely on Christ's fulfillment of the law for me again. It pushed me back to that step. And I received it. And it gave me power. It gave me strength. And it continues to do so. So that now I see, oh yes, I remember the one who is commanding these things of me laid down his life for me. He has my best interest at heart. I can trust him. Even when it's hard. Even though I some days just don't want to do it. I can trust him. And that is the power of the gospel. That's the power of Christ's fulfillment of the law for you at work in you. And it produces fruit. And this is where Jesus doesn't just want to do it in you, but he wants to fulfill the law through you. Because as that works itself out, as that process of sanctification works itself out, as you start to not give opportunity to the flesh or provision for the flesh, but to put on the Lord Jesus, embodying him more, resembling him more, resembling his perfect obedience more and more, it's going to create ripple effects that have real, meaningful, powerful impact in this world. And last week, we were looking at Moses giving the law preceded entering the kingdom. It was a kingdom law. It was a kingdom ethic. Well, the kingdom, we realized, was not Israel. The kingdom is the people of God inhabiting this world. And so the law is coming to bear and bearing fruit through Christ because of Jesus. And it's coming into this world through his people. And we get to see this in tiny little glimmers. We get to see it maybe in one or two relationships, if we're really lucky. We get to see this in relationships with coworkers, with family members. We get to see what it looks like for someone to recognize their selfishness and then to start living a life of humility. I'm reminded of Zacchaeus up in the tree and how his 
confrontation with Jesus, his admission that he had been stealing made him generous. And as he lived, as the law was fulfilled in him, it was fulfilled through him as he gave generously to all of the people he had wronged. Well, that same principle is at work here. And this is where you see what it means that Jesus is working in us to work through us. He's starting to give us a glimmer, a foretaste of that eternal life that we were just talking about as a benefit of the gospel. Eternal life is talking about quantity, unending, eternal, but it's also talking about quality. The relationships that we'll have with other people are going to be uninhibited by sin. There's no longer going to be selfishness, selfishness at work, at play in our relationships. And we get to see that start to kind of come up out of the soil, just like a couple weeks ago, the daffodils just peeking up out of the soil. We get to see just the first faintest glimmers of what it looks like for the law to be fulfilled through us. And it creates a longing in us. It creates a longing for the full-fledged sunrise. Paul says, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. And just like today, where many of us woke up and it was still dark, when we wake up, it still seems dark. But we can see a glimmer of what it looks like when the sun rises. We can start to see outlines and shadows. And we long for the sun to rise. And that, the ramifications that that will have on relationships are mind-blowing. They're beautiful. They're going to be so deeply satisfying. But even more than that, we're going to experience what it's like to love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your strength. And these two go together. But one takes priority. And that is the priority. Our love of God produces love of neighbor. Loving your neighbor will never produce love of God. But every time as you love God, you will love your neighbor. And so I was thinking about this, that that is why Paul uses that strong word, salvation. Because we need to be saved from broken relationships. We still need to be saved from our flesh. We still need to be saved from the brokenness and the sinfulness and the wickedness of this world. And we will be saved. And that happens when Jesus comes back and this law rules in his kingdom perfectly. Through him, for us, in us, and through us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to look forward to something that we can hardly even begin to imagine. 
And yet, Lord, you have given us first fruits. You have sent your Son. We've seen his life. We've seen the quality of it. We've seen the beauty of it. You've sent us your Spirit to begin to thaw us out, to help us wake up and start living for you, to start walking in accord with that Spirit. And Lord, you promise that Jesus will return. And when he returns, fulfillment. When he returns, the things of this earth will pass away. And we will receive a new heaven and a new earth. Untainted from sin. Perfected by Christ's love for you and for his people. We look forward to that, Lord. Help us to live for it, to long for it, and to submit everything in our lives to our Savior and our Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.